at 11.40 p.m., 11.40 p.m. on April 14th, 1912, the greatest vessel ever built, the Titanic, collided with an iceberg in the North Atlantic, and I don't want to ruin the movie for anybody, but... Uh, yeah, about two hours later, two hours and 40 minutes at 2.20 a.m., the, the ship that was considered unsinkable was completely submerged uh, in water. And there were 2,201 uh, people on board, including everybody, crew and everything, and only 711 of them survived. Today, we're starting a brand new five-part series called Long Hair, Don't Care, about the life of Samson. And I would be willing to bet that even if you don't know a lot about the Bible, maybe this is your first time in church in a really long time, I would be willing to bet that you probably are familiar with the story of Samson. You wanna just, you wanna test it out a little bit, a little Bible trivia, all right? The really smart people, don't speak up too fast. Let's give everybody a chance here to to answer this, all right? Tell me something that you know about Samson. Are you ready? What, what, was, what was Samson's, was, was Samson's hair short or long? What was it? See, you already know that. Samson got in a little trouble because he fell in love with a lady that was not the best choice for him. Does anybody know what her name was? See, look at you. You, you know the Bible. So you're already familiar with, with his story regardless of your religious background. But probably what you know about Samson is you know about his scandal. See, everybody knows about Samson's, Samson's scandal. Unfortunately, Samson is a story that we know all too well. You have a charismatic, talented, attractive, influential person who has a headline-grabbing scandal that costs him his influence. Ultimately, in Samson's case, it cost him his, his life. But if the only thing you know about Samson is Delilah, then you only know the end of the story. It's like only knowing that the Titanic sank. It's important to know what happened, but it's more important to know why it happened. Why did Samson end up where, where he did? Now, if you do a little research into the Titanic, you find out that it was supposed to be able to withstand a collision with an iceberg that they built it to be able, for, for a moment just like that, so that it would not fall if it had been built and operated the way that it was, it was supposed to. But there were some bad decisions that were made long before the Titanic ever left the harbor that really set it up for, for its fall. And I don't wanna go into too much detail, but if you just look into a couple of the decisions, here's what you find out, is that when they were building the boat, it was built, it was such a massive structure, and there were so many um, uh, safety procedures and so many uh, safety measures taken in building it that when they were putting the rivets into the, the bottom of the boat, there was a uniform way that it was supposed to be done, but the guys who were doing it felt like it was overkill. And so it wasn't massive. It was just a very slight, slight uh, adjustment, but there ended up being some structural integrity to the bottom of the boat. Just, just, just 1% off, 2% off, but there was some integrity, structural integrity issues in the bottom of the boat. Uh, another decision that was made is that the Titanic was going way too fast in these winter icy conditions. 
And then a third decision that was made that was probably a poor decision is that when the crew saw the iceberg ahead, when it was spotted, they had 120 seconds to make a decision and they could have gone around the iceberg, but they were prideful and stubborn and felt as if they didn't need to do that when they decided it was too late. And so you had structural integrity, you had speed that was too fast, and you had a stubborn crew who refused to turn around. And what's interesting about that is anytime you find something or someone who goes down in a, in a crash and burn fashion, you're gonna find those three characteristics every time. You're gonna find integrity issues. You're gonna find people who are operating at an unsustainable pace and you're gonna find people who are too prideful to listen to anybody else's, uh, anybody else's advice. Samson's story is the same. We're gonna see the same characteristics in Samson that we see or can find really in any of the stories where something ends up going down. Because Samson's problem was not Delilah. You know, the iceberg is not what caused the Titanic to sink. And a lot of times, whatever we collide into that causes us to sink, we blame. But that's not the reason that the Titanic sank. It was just the last reason. And so a lot of times, the things in our life that cause us to crash and burn and sink is not really the reason. It's just the last reason. And so Samson's problem was not Delilah. Samson's problem was Samson. Okay, but I'm getting way ahead of myself, so let's go back to the very beginning of the story. Because I have five weeks to talk about this story. I got five parts. And today, we're gonna start at the very beginning. The story of Samson is in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Judges. And it is in Judges chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. Four chapters in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Judges, but the book of Judges, think of it like a history book that you would have read uh, in school, because what it is, is it's, a, it's about a 400 plus, 400 and change year history of a nation of people. So, so for about 400 years, there's this nation of people, and the book of Judges is going to give us these stories and accounts of what was happening during that time. Heads up, spoiler alert, they weren't great things that, that were happening, okay? And so Samson's story is about 20 to 30 years in this 400-year story in the book of Judges. It's just a blur, but it's a very famous blur because it's the kind of story that we love to read or watch. Attractive, muscular, always walking around with his shirt off, you know, always cutting his grass with his shirt off. Not like Kid Rock, but this is like way better. This is, this is Samson we're talking about. Tan, always tan, middle of December, tan, you know, just ripped, just, just he's, he's the guy that gets all the attention and um, he does heroic things, but he has a scandal. And we can say all day long, listen, we could say all day long that we don't like scandals, that we don't wanna read about scandals, we don't wanna watch about it. Do you know when the news ratings are the highest? When there's a scandal. Do you know why they put all the magazines with the made up headlines right by the register? Because you look at it. And it doesn't matter if it says, baby born with six heads. And you know it's not true. You're like, well, I mean, golly, that's crazy, six heads. I, I mean, I guess that could probably happen. Because there's something inside of us that we're just drawn to, to news, to scandal, to something crazy that's happening. And 
And so that's what's happening with Samson. But here's what's interesting, though, is that the Bible doesn't remember Samson the way that we remember Samson. Remember what I just said to you? I said, you know, what do you know? He's long hair, and we know about Delilah. She cuts the hair, and he gets his eyes gouged out and all that stuff, just into the story coming later. But the Bible later, when it talks about Samson in past tense, it doesn't talk about Samson the way that we talk about Samson. We talk about Samson like he was you know, a has-been who made bad decisions, and so, you know, we, we kind of disown Samson. We kind of write him off, but that's not what the Bible says. If you go to the New Testament, to look at Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is committed to talking about all these heroic stories of faith and amazing people from the Bible. And in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verses 32 through 35, here's what it says. It'll be up on the screen. It says, It says, it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, there it is, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By these people, uh, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised to them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength, and they became strong in battle and put the whole armies to flight. This is listing Samson with David and Samuel and Daniel, these guys of incredible faith. And we don't think of Samson that way, but this is how the Bible lists and talks about Samson, that he was great, that he did incredibly heroic things. But it's that line in the middle of Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 35 that that really gets my attention, where it says that their weakness was turned to strength. Here's what you gotta know about Samson. Samson had a weakness. And every hero has a weakness. Every Superman has a kryptonite, a flaw. Samson had flaws. But God doesn't use perfect people. God uses flawed people. Anybody in the room today want to just go ahead in this safe place and admit you're flawed? Come on, let me see your hand. Any flawed people in the room? Okay. Anybody in the room know somebody who thinks they're perfect? Let me see your hand. Come on, you know somebody who thinks they're perfect. Okay. Good news is that you're a candidate to be used incredibly by God. They're not. If they are amazing as they think they are, they will never be used by God because God doesn't use perfect people. And it will always bug them that he uses you because you're so flawed. But you, you, you are, and God uses flawed people. But God doesn't just use flawed people. Flawed people use God. See, God uses flawed people, but flawed people use God, and that's what this story's about. And over the next five weeks, we're just gonna keep coming back to that idea that God uses flawed people, and flawed people use God. Because Samson was used greatly by God, but Samson also used God. He wasn't committed to his faith. There's no dedication to his relationship with God. He only called on God when he, when he needed him. And so God used him greatly, but he used God greatly because God uses flawed people and flawed people use, use God. And here's why we're taking the next five weeks to talk about this childhood Bible story. Because all of us in the room can learn from Samson's story. God wants to turn your weakness into strength. 
He wants to use you greatly, you, the flawed person, me, the flawed person, weakness to strength and to use us greatly. But if we're not careful, when God begins to use us or we do get our life on track and we don't feel weak anymore, if we're not careful, our strengths can become our weaknesses and we begin to compromise in small ways and eventually we end up a million miles away from where we ever wanted to be, where we ever intended to be because we cared about our hair more than we cared about our heart. We didn't really make it about the heart, we made it about everything else in life. And so as we read this story, I want you to keep asking this question. Here's the question I want you to keep asking over these these weeks that we're together for this story. Here's the question I want you to ask. Is there any Samson in me? Is there any Samson in me? And can I go ahead and answer the question for you? Yes, okay, yes, there is a Samson in you. It's gonna be really easy as you listen to these sermons to think like, man, I really wish so-and-so was here because they're not in a good place right now and I'm really worried about them. And they may be, but you need to hear this because you're in a dangerous place right now. And God wants to do something incredible in your life, but we have to be careful. And, And if we will let Samson, if we could sit him down, if we could take him to coffee, take him to lunch, take him to dinner, if we could sit down and we could look across the table and we could say, man, help me, tell me, you know, your story, here's my story. Samson can be a mentor to us. It's great to learn from people who did great things, but you can also learn from people who messed up. And so he could look across the table and he, if he could, he would grab you by the shirt and he would pull you in real close. He'd pull you in really close. Everybody in the restaurant would be staring at you and he'd pull you in really close and he would say, whatever you do, Don't do what I did. That's what he would say. Whatever you do, don't do what I did. So we're gonna start at the very beginning of the story. Judges chapter 13, the very first verse, Judges chapter 13. And we're already several hundred years into the story, okay? So we're picking up several hundred years already in this nation of people. And it just, it hasn't gone well. It hasn't gone well. So let's start with uh, chapter 13, verse one. If you have a Bible, you can read along. It'll be up on the screen, got a phone. Um, I just want you to read along with me so that you can trust what I'm saying's in there. All right, here we go. Chapter 13, verse one, it says, again. Everybody say again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. If you happen to have a Bible that you can write in, take a pen and just underline it again. If you're on your phone, hit, hit, the, hit the verse, highlight it. Just, just mark that word again because at the very beginning of the story, we, we learn something pretty valuable. To understand Samson, you have to understand the, the time and place he was born into. The Bible says again, because this was not the first time that the people had done evil in the Lord's sight. There was a pattern that kept repeating itself. You go back to the beginning of the book of Judges and you start reading through the book of Judges, you see this pattern repeat itself over and over again. I'm gonna give you the pattern. I just wanna give you a heads up. You're gonna feel like you're having deja vu because you're very familiar with this pattern. Here was the pattern of the people during this time. Pray to God when things are going bad. Forget about God when things are going good. Mess up the good thing by making a bad decision. Beg God to bail you out and swear you'll never do it again. 
Does that sound familiar? Anybody familiar with that pattern? Come on, anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beg God to help you. He helps you. Forget about him when it's good. Mess up a good thing with a bad decision. Beg God to help you swear you'll never do it again. And we could all tell our stories if that is the case. Like we've all made deals with God. If then propositions with God. God, if you'll get me out of this, then I will never do this again. I swear I will never do it again. Never do it again. I will, I will never miss church. I will, I will give to missions. I'll start tithing. I will, whatever it is, God, I will just, just come on, get me out of this. God, we've all made those deals. And I think we could all admit today that we're all more spiritual in a crisis. It's just the reality of, of, of humanity that we're all spiritual in a crisis and we really don't ever feel a need for God until we have a need. It takes a need to reveal our need for God and sometimes life has to knock our legs out from under us to remind us that we haven't prayed in a while. But nothing gets you praying like a crisis or your teenager getting their driver's license is what I'm told. One of those two things gets you, which could be a crisis. And so nothing gets you praying like a crisis. And, and all of us would agree that's true. Nobody in here is gonna argue with that point. That's not true, Jason. I am, it's the prosperous times when I'm most spiritual. That's not true. It's not true. You cry out to God in the valleys and when you need him. And so if that is true, and I think all of us would agree that that is true. Anybody, anybody in the room ever been there and paid way too much for the t-shirt? Come on, let me see your hand. Anybody ever paid way too much? For, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, like just, I mean, I, I've, we've done those things. We've been there. We would all admit that, that we are more spiritual in a crisis. And since that's the case, then the next few words in the verse should not really seem that surprising to us because it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. Again, cycle, again, they messed it up. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines to be oppressed for 40 years. And what does that mean? What does it mean that God handed them over? Because at first when you read that, here's what it can sound like. It can sound like God is in heaven and he's like, I've had it. This is ridiculous. These people are so ungrateful. I, I'm gonna get them back. I'll show them. They'll never, I, I'll show them. And that it sounds like that God is getting revenge on the people. But if you're a parent in the room, you know that you're never getting revenge on your kids when you're disciplining them. You're disciplining them, but you're not getting revenge on them. And so, and some of you feel this morning like that things are going bad in your life because God's getting even with you because of the bad decisions that you made. God doesn't get even. God, God's not threatened by you. He does not need to get even with you. God is not handing them over because he's being vindictive or he wants to, he wants to you know, get, get even. He's, he's handing them over because he wants to teach him a lesson. And it's counterintuitive to think that a bad thing could be a good thing, but if I were to ask you to tell me some of your stories about some of the bad moments in your life, some of the moments that hurt, some of the moments that made you cry, if you've had enough time or you learned your lesson, you would maybe go as far as to say that those things, while they were bad at the moment, end up being good things. Can I give you a couple of examples? Maybe you got fired from a job early on in your career and you cried and you were embarrassed, but it taught you what you needed to do to succeed. 
Maybe you failed a class early enough in college to realize that what they told you was not true. You actually do have to go to class in order to pass the class, right? And so you, 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 your parents were mad and you were embarrassed, you had to repay, whatever, but you learned a lesson. Maybe it was a heartbreaking breakup that destroyed your heart, but you learned the value of healthy relationships. Maybe it was bankruptcy. There, there are all of these things in your life where you go, wow, that was terrible, but that may have been one of the best things that ever happened to me. I would never choose it, but I wouldn't change it either. And our painful experiences can be beneficial, and that's God's plan for the people of Israel. He was not doing anything to them. He was doing something for them. By handing them over, he was blessing them? Wow. God was actually blessing them, giving them a gift to be oppressed by their enemies because we never realize how bad we need God until things get bad. And so he's handing them over, but he's not handing them over as a penalty. He's really giving them what they've always wanted. We don't have time, but if we went back to the very beginning of Judges and we read story after story after story, here's what you would find about the people. They wanted to be Philistines so bad. They wanted to live in Philistine neighborhoods. They wanted their kids to marry Philistines. They wanted to go to Philistine schools. They, they wanted to be Philistines so bad. And God told them several hundred years earlier, when you go into this new land and you become this nation of people, destroy your enemies, destroy them. And he told them what would happen if they didn't do it. This is Judges 2, chapter, or Judges chapter 2, verse 3. You don't have to look it up. It, Jesus said, destroy them. God said, destroy them. If you don't, they will be thorns in your side and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. Constantly. You will constantly be tempted if you do not destroy your enemies. And if I could just paraphrase this verse, I would say it like this, that when it comes to compromise, the things that I tolerate eventually dominate me. The things that you tolerate eventually, eventually will dominate you. And so some of you in the room today, you're like, I'm just constantly tempted. I'm constantly tempted because you have refused to destroy whatever it is that you're totally not convinced yet is maybe not awesome, right? It's like, I oh, know I shouldn't do it, but I'm not convinced it's not awesome. And so I'm not gonna destroy it yet. And so the stories are ridiculous if we went back and read them. Like the Philistines are worshiping like, masks on poles in the middle of the desert. They're worshiping sculptures of dogs and cats. And I know some of you worship your dogs, but I'm saying in general, like the idol worship of, of worshiping dogs. And so we look at that and say, why would they think that's better than worshiping God? Because we would never worship like a mask on a stick or whatever. But we think everything, we think what other people idolize is stupid, but we idolize things ourselves that are absolutely ridiculous. And we're not convinced that Jesus is better than all those things. And so these people are living there with their enemies and they just wanna be Philistines so bad because in their minds, Philistines get to have all the fun. Philistines just wanna have fun, as the song says. Like they just wanna, they just wanna, they, they just get to have fun and do all the fun stuff. And those of us who have to worship God is the old ball and chain. I gotta follow God. And they just desperately wanna be a Philistine. And so God says, okay, if you wanna be a Philistine, Go be a Philistine. 
And when God allows us to have what we want, it's such a blessing to us because we get to realize that the devil's always a liar and sin always overpromises and underdelivers every single time. And so we finally get what we want only to realize that what we thought we wanted is not actually what we wanted. And then we thank God for it. Thank you, God, that for the last 40 years, you allowed me to realize that I do not wanna be a Philistine. I wanna follow you. And so God hands them over because there's something valuable that they need, they need to learn. And what they have to learn is what we have to learn every time, that when we try to take control back from God, our way never works. It always, it always hurts. And so the very first verse of the story in chapter 13 shows us the spiritual reality of the world that Samson's gonna be born into. It's a nation of people who feel bad about the consequences of their decisions, but they don't feel bad about their decisions. It is, it is a group of people who want God to bail them out, but they don't wanna have to worship God. They've compromised themselves. And now this world that Samson's gonna be born into, you cannot tell the difference between a Philistine and an Israelite. There's no distinction between the people who claim to be God's people and the people who are not. And so God is going to choose another judge. He's already had judges, some of the famous ones you would know, Gideon, Deborah, different things like that. But in the past, God always chose a judge from among the people. So he would kind of look out among the crowd. It was way more sovereign and godlike than this, but he would kind of look out in the crowd and be like, Carl, you're it, you're the judge, okay. You know, it was way more godlike than that. But you understand the point I'm trying to make. But what had happened was these people were so compromised that God didn't want to choose any judge from them so he decides he's gonna go about it another way because Samson will be the last judge in this experiment. And so after all of these failed tests and experiments of judges, he decides that instead of choosing a judge from among the people, he's gonna start at birth. And he's gonna choose somebody before they're ever born and set up their life in such a way that they won't be like everybody else. And so that's what we read, this world that Samson's being born into, starting in verse two. It says, in those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant and they had no children. Verse three, the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. Does that sound familiar to anybody? John the Baptist, Mary, a little bit of Moses. Like, this is a very distinct group that Samson is a part of, an angel shows up and says, big deal, baby's coming, this guy's special, okay? It says, even though you have been unable to have children, you're pregnant, birth to a son, verse four, so be careful. Everybody say, be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful, be careful, be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink or any drink or eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and his hair must never be cut. Last verse, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth and he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. This, this code that he is being committed to by his mom is called the Nazarite vow and 
If you want to get nerdy with it, you can just go back to number six and read all about it. But it's this idea that really three commitments, you don't cut your hair, you don't drink wine, and you don't uh, eat or touch unclean animals. But it was never intended to be a lifelong commitment. It was a commitment that people made for like three days, seven days, 30 days. It was something that you did when you needed God to do something amazing, something big, crying out to God, kind of like fasting, things like that, where you say, I need God so much, or I love God so much, I'm not gonna cut my hair, I'm not gonna drink wine, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna eat unclean food or touch dead animals. So it was intended to be three, seven, 30 days, something like that. But God says to Samson's mom, this is not gonna be a 30-day thing. I am choosing somebody and creating somebody and birthing somebody that is gonna be so different that, that he's going to be so committed and so dedicated. That's, that's what they said. He will be dedicated to the Lord. That he's gonna live this way for the rest of his life. Now, to be fair to Samson, he didn't get any say in this. He had to kind of stick to guidelines he never agreed to, but that's beside the point because God is teaching us a lesson, all of us this morning, that, that we have to learn if we're gonna really get anything out of this story of Samson. God's plans for Samson were so big and so huge. Samson was going to make a huge difference, but we all have to learn and know that if you wanna make a difference, you have to be different. You have to be different to make a difference. And so God says, I don't want Samson to be anything like these people. I want him to stand out so much, salt, light of the world. I want people to see Samson and go, he's not one of us. He, that's how much he's going to stand out because with great purpose comes great sacrifice. You have to be different to make a difference. Samson is going to be raised in a culture of people who don't take God seriously. Tell me if this sounds familiar. They don't think it's important to obey God's rules. They have no problem compromising their beliefs. And God says, if I'm gonna raise up somebody who's going to be the leader of a people like this, I don't want them to be anything like that. They've gotta be different. Now, if I was to ask you today, how many people in the room want to make a difference? I'd be like, yeah. How many people want to raise kids who would change the world? Me. How many people want to be like a prayer and an intercessor that you get a hold of God and you pray for things and things happen? Me, I do. How many people want to like make enough money to like fund incredible orphanages around the world? Me, I do. Okay. Everybody in the room wants to make a difference. That's not the question. The question for everybody who wants to make a difference is, are you willing to be different? Because we're tempted to think that the best way to influence the people is to be just like them, but that's not true. We're tempted to think if we could just blend in, we'll make the biggest difference, but that's not true. That even when society or culture or other Christians look at you and say, you're too different, you take it too far, why do you gotta be so extreme with that? That really somewhere in their heart and really somewhere in their head, not, I'm not saying to extreme degrees, but I'm saying somewhere in their heart and their head, they go, wow, they must believe it more than I do. They must know God differently than I do. You ever heard somebody pray and you're like, I thought I knew how to pray until I heard them pray, right? It's different, it's different. And so everybody in the room wants to make a difference, but we're so terrified by the idea and the thought that somehow we would have to be different from the people around us. But God teaching us today through the story of Samson says, no, it doesn't work like that. 
Big difference means big different. You want to make a big difference? You got to be different. So what are you wanting to accomplish? What are you wanting to do? You say, okay, well, I want to raise children who change the world. Fantastic. How willing are you to parent differently than everybody else? Here's what I'm not talking about. Let me back up just one second because I just felt this vibe in the room of like, oh boy, here we go. Okay, here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about wearing denim skirts to the floor, never piercing your ears. I'm not talking about have to be in church 52 weeks a year. I'm not, I'm not talking about standing on a sidewalk with a poster board that says turn or burn. You know that I'm not talking about that. And I'm honestly not worried about any of you doing that. But I just, like, I'm not talking about you being at your job and standing up on a chair and saying, what's wrong with you people? That's not what I'm talking about. Because most of the time, those people who, who are so vocally different, they're actually not that different than everybody else. It just dresses up different. But So you want to raise kids who you want to change the world? Awesome. I, I love that. I agree with that. We pray for it every night in our house. How, how are you willing to be a different parent? Are you willing to parent differently? Are you willing to say no to things that everybody else says yes to? Are you willing to be judged by other parents who think you're being ridiculous? Are you willing to prioritize things that other people don't prioritize? You say, well, I want to marry someone that will lead me spiritually and that together we can be a partner in ministry or we can change the world or whatever it is, just fill in the gaps anywhere. Awesome, I think that's amazing. Are you willing to date differently? Are you willing to date it? Because if you date like everybody else, then you're gonna end up like everybody else and you don't make a difference from the middle of the pack. What happens is you distinguish yourself and for a while everybody says, you're crazy and then at some point they go, hey, will you teach us how to do what you do? Because they realize normal doesn't work. You say, man, I would love to make a difference with my money. Phenomenal. Are you willing to manage your money differently than everybody else? To prioritize it in different ways, to give it in different ways, to not spend it on certain things because you can spend it like everybody else, but there will come a time when everybody else will want to be different or make a difference and then they're gonna look around for the people who are different and they're gonna say, how'd you do it? And you're like, man, let me tell you how I did it. I know you wanna make a difference but are you willing to be different? And every single person in this room, God has a unique purpose and calling on your life just like Samson. That if you wanna go to Jeremiah 29, 11, I know that it's about Jeremiah but I think it's so fitting that it's about us, that God knew us before we were in our mother's womb and has great plans. This is what it says. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. God's saying you. He's talking about you. Plans for good, not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. Who? The people who has, he has great plans for. In those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me half-heartedly, I will find you. Y'all ain't even reading along. That's not what it says. He, says. he says, you'll pray and I'll listen. And if you look for me on Sundays, you will find me. That's not what it says. He says, I have incredible plans for you that have been set apart since before your mom and daddy ever had a night of passion. And, and so when you are born, I want you to know that the plans are great 
and when you pray, I will listen, and if you will search for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me, wholeheartedly. Spoiler alert, Samson does not wholeheartedly follow God, and it goes bad. Not at first, because it never goes bad at first. Matter of fact, when it goes really bad at first, it's usually like a great thing because you learn your lesson and you adjust. But by the time Samson realizes that he's doing the wrong things in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's too late. It's too late. Are you willing to be different? And I can't tell you how you need to be different or where you need to be different, but I don't need to because the Holy Spirit's more convincing than me. And you know the conversations that the Holy Spirit keeps knocking on your heart that keep coming up. There's something that he's pushing you to do, nudging you to do, and he will not leave you alone. And you're like, God, leave me alone. He won't do it. Because great plans, great sacrifice. So whatever that nagging thing is in your heart and in your mind that you're like, I think God wants me to but you struggle to commit to it because it's so different than everybody else around you. If you'd have the courage to be different, you'll find that you make a really big difference. Let's pray.